0: I'm so grateful for them
1: for, for doing my, that for
0: my team. Yeah, so it's Laura, myself, and Jacob. Jacob's the mediator of all things. He's just awesome, and we'll be doing those four times a month or a year. Excuse me,
1: four times every quarter, right? Is yeah. the plan?
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. and we're planning, fingers crossed, an all-day event um, to kick to kick off May as Mental Health Month. Or Mental health month.
1: Mental right. health seems to be one of those avenues that you're really passionate about. I am
0: very passionate about it. Yeah.
1: Is that, do you have a direct relation there through family members or is it just a topic No, that it's kinda... just
0: from being out, say, in Palco Marsh and being out on the streets a lot. Um,
1: you're just faced with it.
0: I see it a lot. And, you know, it's challenging because you can't manufacture willingness, but certainly there's a, a strong need for more. Um, more opportunities for people, but also, like, more acceptance, like, just because someone has a mental illness doesn't mean that they are their mental illness. That makes sense. There's a lot more to each individual person. It's complicated. And so being able to address that issue sometimes gives people the opportunity for a different way to live. And, um, you know, that's the goal. And that gets people off, you know, standing on the corner in Old Town and that type of situation. So...
1: It's one of those challenging topics because you can't force somebody to get help, especially if they need it and they they don't necessarily recognize that need.
0: Yeah, it's true. But you know what you can do and what I do and Jacob and a lot of our teams in the city and in the county is we make connections with people because you don't know when that connection is going to make the difference in somebody's life. And the connection doesn't mean I bring them home and cook them dinner or put a tent in my backyard. It means that I treat them like a valued human being that they are. Uh, and look at them and smile or say hello or ask them what they need.
1: Which sometimes that makes the most impact is 100%. just treating them like a human being and saying, 100%. I know that you're in this circumstance and it's not ideal and mm-hmm. it's not where you would want to be, but you're still a person mm-hmm. and we're going to figure this out as a community.
0: Yeah. And I don't even think that needs to be said. I think that, you know, the bottom line is every person has value and every person has a problem, you know what? Whether we all got our something right, and so just the opportunities to connect with people uh, in kindness and just you know those types of things really make an impact on people. I've walked down the street and had people just yelling, and I'll say, "Hey, how's it going?" and they'll stop and they'll say, "Hi." People want to be seen, and they will do what they need to do to be seen. Sometimes.
1: Well, and being homeless is one of those weird things where. All of your problems are just out on display because you can't go by, mm-hmm. behind a door and into your home and do drugs or cope however you cope. You're just out on the street. And so your problems are now kind of on display for everyone that is passing you by.
0: Right. And we hear a lot of comments about, you know, all their stuff. And, you know, when I'm out and I see people um, and their stuff, a lot of times their stuff, I would, you know, wouldn't even fill up my whole bathroom. Do you know what I mean? Like in my house. So, you know, yeah, they have a lot of stuff, but it's really compared to where, how, where I come from, it's really not a lot of stuff, you know? And um, I think that's why they collect it, is so that you feel like this sense of ownership.
1: Have you noticed a positive impact through these town halls that you're yes. doing?
0: Yes. And I'm really grateful. We've had a lot of great dialogue, robust conversation, respectful dialogue has been critical. This is a really sensitive issue. It's really challenging to talk about for some people. And so having a a container where people feel safe, a safe space where people can talk about these things and really hear from experts, um, even their frustrations on how we aren't serving the population as well as we could in this regard.
1: Did you expect when you took office that this was kind of going to be something on your radar to this extent? Oh, 100%. In you, fact, you plan for that?
0: Oh, yes. In fact, when I was running for supervisor, which I'm so grateful Natalie won, um, that was my sole purpose, was to get out there that mental health is a huge issue and we really want to make some changes with that. So when the mayor position, when Susan decided not to run and called me, that was going to be my initiative. I really wanted to get people educated so that we don't have these, you know, you see it on Facebook all the time or social media, these you know, videos of people having a mental health crisis on the street. And perhaps that may be funny to some, but if that was your son or daughter or your mom or your dad or something like that, you may not think it was quite as funny. You, you know? definitely
1: wouldn't think it's quite as funny.
0: No. I, I mean, maybe you would. I don't know. but
1: Yeah. Maybe a strain on the relationship yeah. there. It's, it's an interesting topic. I saw this video of you talking with ryan hudson from humboldt freelance reporting back when the sixth and west Ave encampment was being removed yes and that's when i think that was kind of a perfect confluence of events because you had this dire need to do something with this group of people because there was an environmental impact that was going down that was not great there was a ton of trash you had a lot of people back there supposedly crime was pretty serious Mm -hmm but then you had this counter movement of people who were not happy that this group of people were being displaced mm-hmm. and it seemed like that was something you were struggling with mm-hmm. in terms of how to grapple that mm-hmm. do you feel like the decision to evacuate those encampments is the right call that we we almost have to play whack-a-mole in a sense when they pop up or we need to figure out a better way to mediate the process in between so that we don't we're not just playing this cat cat and mouse game of They pop up, we clean them out, and then two months later, they're back.
0: So, yeah. So I think that there is, first of all, there's a misconception of us. um, I mean, it is true that we are asking people to move on. That is true. That was a private property situation. I was out there with Packout, so I wasn't out there as a city official or anything like that. But I was out with Packout. But I think, you know, the part that people miss is that our police department, our uplift group had been out in that region for, you know, a long time, offering services, making connections, all of those things, offering opportunities. And again, willingness can't be manufactured, right? But you also can't have the things that were going into the waterway. You know, we've got to protect our environment as well. So it's like this whole balancing act a lot of the times. And it was really, it was really a struggle to, like, watch people. Um, and I had conversations with people out there that were homeless, like, what, what can we do to support you? How can we, you know, do this? And unfortunately, I guess what I would say about, you know, protesters is I get that. You know, I spent a lot of time down in Pelco Marsh vacating people and supporting people out of that way of living if they wanted the help. But, you know, I think that sometimes things get lost in... um you know, they don't people don't understand that we have been working with these people for a long time. It's not that we just go down there and say, You're out. You know, we have to notice people. There's a lot of process that goes into that before we ever do that. And I wish more people understood that. And that those people that are out there protesting, I would love for them to join us because the more you know, this is a community problem. It needs community solutions. We need everybody to be involved in it. And You don't have to agree with the way that it's happening, but if you don't, let's talk about different ways that we can handle it. Let's work together on this because that's the only way we're going to have any resolution with it.
1: Well, that's indicative of a problem that is much larger is people just enjoy drawing focus and saying, here's an issue. Mm -hmm. I'm going to protest this issue, Mm -hmm. but there's nothing on the back end of that. There's no, I'm going to protest, but I'm also going to help out and volunteer and try to correct some of the problems that I've identified. It's just, I'm going to point out the problem. Yeah. And I think there's, mm -hmm. there's some confusion in that and the effectiveness of what that actually does.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And I think sometimes, you know, it's that feeling of powerlessness and frustration, like, you know, gosh, this is happening and we have no control. We have no control over how these folks are necessarily treated or their willingness to get the supports that they need. We don't have that, you know, and it's frustrating. And believe me, I have had the experience of a lot of frustration with folks. I had one guy that lived at Palco Marsh, and I had housing for him so many times. And he was like, I'll move in next Tuesday. You know, next Tuesday never came. He ended up dying of cancer in the hospital. But, you know, it's the thing to remember, too, is I think that it can be terrifying to, if you've lived that way for a year, five years, 10 years, your whole life, um, it's a challenge to give up something that's familiar to to strive for something else. It's kind of like addiction in a way, like if you're, you know, addicted to alcohol for instance, it's like it's scary thought to think, well, what will I be if I give this up? What's left, right? Who am I going to be? Well, you know, and will I be successful or am I going to fail?
1: The devil you know yeah. in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that that is One of the challenges is bridging the information divide with the public. Sure. Mm -hmm. in that Especially in that situation where you guys were providing or resources were being provided to this group of people Mm -hmm. prior to them being evacuated from that location. Mm -hmm. And then the protesters maybe not seeing that work on the back end. So they're just upset thinking this is taking place without any warning, without any resources being provided. Right.
0: I agree with you there. And that is why I am... I'm so grateful for this opportunity to do the town halls quarterly because it gives people the opportunity to come and talk and ask questions from experts that actually are in the work every day. Um, and we do have people that come and share their stories there as well, which is really interesting because I think, you know, the more we hear these stories, um, the more we humanize people, right? And so we we get a better op- better idea that this is not a moral issue, and um, oftentimes I hear this one, that, that homelessness is a choice that folks have made, and what I would say to that is, I don't, I don't know anybody that woke up, you know, or was in the third grade saying, you know what, when I grow up, I'm going to be a heroin addict, I'm going to lose my family, I'm never going to have a home, I'm never going to have a job, I'm just going to be this person, like, existing out in the green belts, right? I don't know that anybody dreams for that. I think sometimes, you know, life circumstances take us there. Um, Addiction can take us there. Domestic violence can take us there. A lot of people are one paycheck away right now from being there. So I think that's always a consideration.
1: Well, nobody thinks that it can happen to them. Right. Which it's, that's another disconnect that's hard to bridge. Because how do you relate to somebody if you think their circumstances are solely by their own choices and could never could never, you could never fall into that place. Mm-hmm. You can never, you can't relate to them because you can never see yourself in that situation. Oh, I'd never be homeless. I'd never get yeah. addicted. I'd never fall down these cracks. Right. So they need to just fix themselves and, and solve their own problems.
0: Yeah. We hear that a lot. We hear that a lot. And I think that's the importance of community and connection and folks being willing to say hello. I mean, it's not difficult to walk by somebody and say hello and smile. That costs you nothing. I'm not asking people to, you know, have them over for dinner. I'm just saying, can we just be nice? Can we just be nice?
1: Or like you said, house them in your backyard. Yeah. Like you're, you don't, it doesn't have to be this drastic. No, that's always the support. thing,
0: right? That's always the thing. Well, if you're so concerned, why don't you house them in your backyard? Why don't you, you know, whatever the case might be. And it's like, because I have my own life, just like you do. Um, but these people are my friends. They're my community. They're they're people, people, human beings in our community. And they deserve to be treated as such, you know.
1: What do you make of the the current push to build housing on some of those parking lots in mm-hmm. the city? Or-
0: we need it. We need it. And so I really appreciate that in our city that we're very, very um, forward-thinking and that we look to find solutions, whatever that may look like.
1: Do you buy any of the arguments from the opposition that, oh, it's going to cause traffic problems, it's going to ruin downtown, people aren't going to want to go down there, it's just going to incentivize more homelessness? Or do you think some of that is kind of fluff, that people are just making a bigger issue out of something that potentially might be a solution?
0: I feel like people are frustrated, and I understand that. I mean, I worked in Old Town for a while, and I understand, you know, the parking situation down there. But I also believe that the more people we have in those areas, the more people we have living and existing in those regions, the more safe it's going to be. And I think a common misnomer is that these, these places are for homeless people, and these places are for people that are addicts and alcoholics and, you know have no substance in our community, which don't get me started on that. But um, the truth is, is that they're, they're low income. I mean, I could qualify for some of these places. And many of my friends that work at the schools could qualify for this. People that are waitresses, people that are just regular people could qualify for this. I think it's, is it 65,000 for four people would be the income? You know, it's like, or maybe that's maybe it's 80 for four and 65 for two. But point being is that these are our neighbors. These are people that are making your coffee. These are people that are working at the co op. These are people that are a part of our community already.
1: Yeah, that low income phrase is instantly attached to all of these other. Oh, absolutely. Homeless, it's just going to be addicts. homeless
0: people and it's going to be a terror. And, you know, what I would say is. More people off the streets, the better off we're going to be. A healthy community lifts each other up. We don't continue to, you know, keep people down. And so providing opportunities for people to have a place to be, I think, is important.
1: Do you think that the criticism against it is valid in any way?
0: I hear. Yeah. I think that, um, again, people are afraid of what we don't understand. you know, I think there may be concerns about the parking that are valid, but I think that when you when we look at it and we look at people, humans, versus walking an extra four blocks or five blocks, you know, it all depends on what your uh, what you perceive is more important.
1: The trade-off is worth it in your opinion, in my what, opinion. What, what we would be sacrificing is not comparable to what we would be gaining in that instance
0: no i would say not
1: it's interesting i wouldn't have guessed that it would have drummed up as much opposition as it has Mm -hmm. when it for when the proposition first came out i kind of just brushed it aside i was like okay they're gonna somebody's gonna figure this out and then there was that group citizens for better eureka or something like that that came out and we're in complete opposition to doing this. Mm-hmm. And now it seems like it's kind of polarized people on one end of the spectrum.
0: Mm-hmm. Which is unfortunate, which is unfortunate. And it would be great if we could have healthy dialogue without um, lawsuits and all the garbage that comes with that. But unfortunately, there are folks that aren't willing to, to do that or they feel like they can't be heard unless there's some kind of litigation. And that's really unfortunate. And we did have some meetings with some folks. And that was interesting Um, and partly unfortunate, really, because it would be, it seems that we all want similar things. We want to have a healthy city. We want to have a beautiful city. We want to have places for people to be. Uh, We all want housing. We all want food. We all want connection. We all want love. We all want all these things. And that's just human. That's humanity, right? So if we could just get to that level and build from there, I think we'd get along a lot better.
1: Yeah, it's, we're not as different as people would like to think. No, we're not. When you really strip away all the bravado and all of the BS that we stack on top to present to society, we all just want a better life. We all want better for our kids. We all want this community to flourish. There's just a difference in approaches to achieving that goal. And people get lost in that, and then we can't talk.
0: And that's really unfortunate. You know, I wish in a perfect world we would be able to say these are the things we want. You know, healthy living for everybody. Let go of food insecurity. How, have housing for folks. People can feel connected. People can feel love. All these things that are just in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? This is something that we all need, um, and we can start with that. And say, okay, well, we all agree here. We all have completely different ways to get there. But at least we know where we're going and we can discuss ways to get there and compromise. But unfortunately, it feels like that there is, there is no compromise sometimes. It's like, this is the way it's going to be. This is how I want it. This is how I want it. And it's like, kindergartners, my way. <laughs> you know, it's like, can we talk without name calling? How would that be? You know?
1: So was that surprising for you when you took office as mayor? I mean, is, it, w- is the position what you thought it would be? Because you've been in the role now for seven months.
0: Yeah, almost seven
1: months. Is it I mean, is it kind of a shock at how different it is than what you thought? Or does it did it pretty much align with where you expected it to be?
0: No, I think it's it's different. It certainly is different. Um, the public meeting, it's not really a shock. Um, it's something that I've been working on for a long time, public discourse. I think it's important that every voice is heard. And I think that um, with that, we can hear better when there is some sense of decorum when someone's calling you names over and over and over and over and over? Did I say over and over and over and over and over again? Um, and spreading fraudulent information. That can make things really difficult. Um, But everybody gets their three minutes. Everybody is welcome. And I think that that's really important is to keep that dialogue open. It can be really frustrating. And the part of it that's really troublesome to me at the public meetings is that when we've got folks that are there with their bravado and their look at me kind of, you know, name calling behaviors, it makes other people in the audience feel uncomfortable to share. And because it's like, for instance, at our last council meeting, a woman was talking about her experience on of walking in Eureka, her experience. And someone just called her out and said, well, you should, you know, try walking here or try walking there. And it's like, you know, you had your three minutes. It's not appropriate for you to be attacking somebody in the meeting. You know, it's just, it's not it's not um healthy discourse it's just childish
1: well it's not productive especially attacking somebody for using their time to explain a situation that they went through yeah what is that just wait till they're finished and then provide your own comment
0: yeah well this was this was somebody who commented and then somebody was in the audience
1: commenting commenting
0: during like from the audience when they were sharing and it's just it's just so inappropriate like we respect your three minutes to yell, call us names, do whatever you need to do, whatever. We're used to that by now. Um, but allow the people that want to share something different from your opinion to have that moment as well.
1: It, from an outside perspective, as someone who has never attended a council meeting. Oh, you should come. I want to. You
0: should. You'll love it.
1: Um, it seems like it is more chaotic than I would have expected.
0: Tell me more about that.
1: It just seems like the level of discourse isn't productive in some ways, especially when the public comment comes into frame. It seems like, I don't know if there's a disconnect between the council and the people or the general direction of the, the, council, the council wants to move the city. I'm not sure, but it seems like there is tension there and people are kind of not handling that well.
0: There are a few that don't handle it very well at all. I would agree with you. Uh, They're welcome, and they can share their three minutes of whatever they need to share. And there are others who can disagree respectfully or agree respectfully or agree disrespectfully. You know, I mean, it's for me, it's a public meeting. It's public discourse. If you want to have your name-calling session, knock yourself out, but do it somewhere where you can enjoy yourself and not impact and affect people who are there for city business. That's what we're there for. We're there for city business. We're, we're there to listen to the public, but we're not there to be, you know, just some of the things that I hear blow my mind. You know, it's really disheartening, can be.
1: I would imagine it's even more so when some of that discourse is coming from the council itself, though, no?
0: Tell me more about that uh, clarify that for me. Well,
1: I was watching a council meeting. It kind of came across my radar where I believe it was Katie Moulton mm-hmm. called someone who was using their time to comment on, I think it was the code of ethics situation mm-hmm. that's been unfolding. And she, in the middle of this person talking, called them an asshole, which is a which is a challenge because mm-hmm. obviously people get passionate and mm-hmm. feelings can kind of get stepped on or misinterpreted. But that coming from a council member in a live session seems to be not great
0: not great no it's wrong it's wrong and you know it's it's really unfortunate because it impacts the way that we do business it impacts it models a behavior that i don't want to see in the meeting um none of us want to see in the meeting so yeah and The thing was, is that Katie did apologize two different times in the meeting. She wrote that person a personal apology.
1: Um, So. But do you think some of that was kind of just to placate the backlash or from the realization of, oh, I probably should not have said that in a meeting during a public comment?
0: I don't know. You know, I pretty much try and take people on face value what they say. I mean, unless they've proven otherwise. And she seems to be, you know, authentic.
1: Can you walk me through the code of ethics situation? Because I I don't fully understand how that's been playing out.
0: So what do you want to know about that?
1: So from my understanding, the city council had a code of ethics in place. And you would sign that when you would join the council. And then sometime around 2018, a council member decided they didn't want to sign it sometime after that the mayor rescinded his signature on it and then so from 2018 to fairly recently it's just not been utilized this mm-hmm. code of ethics mhm and i believe that there has been some questions around council members and the code of ethics and then now suddenly it's been brought back up and rescinded and you guys have replaced that with a handbook mhm is that pretty a pretty accurate understanding um, or is there more i would imagine there's more to of there's always more to apply. the story yeah.
0: right so each council member goes through code of ethics through um, as part of our training. So we have several things in place that we have to go through. Sometimes yearly, sometimes per term, um, on our behavior in that type of situation. And there's state law about how we're to behave. My understanding—I was on council when that policy came forward. It—it it was there were parts of it that were not um, up to the standard of what the way things are. For instance, um, the mayor, that's me. So I don't have the power, according to, the, to our um, charter city regulations, the mayor, me, does not have the power to censure someone, nor would I ever publicly shame somebody. That's my personal self. I would never publicly shame somebody because that is, I think that's wrong. If you've got a problem with someone, go to them. It's not okay to shame people personally. So, anyway, what I'd say about that is that so we, parts of that were flawed. The mayor didn't sign it, not me, the mayor, but other, there were many council members that didn't sign it. Um, and the, when it was looked at again, we found out that there were things in there that were flawed. So, we did rescind it. That does not mean that we do not have a code of ethics. We have a code of ethics that we are we have to go through for our charter city, for the state, um, and for being in office. So the idea that we have no ethics training or policy engaged is flawed. It's 100% flawed. And that that, um, produces a level of frustration for sure. The handbook is a sidebar and it tells us how we're to behave and that's also important. But we have state and federal, or not federal, but state regulation that we have to go through to to deal with ethics, and it's a very serious issue. It's not something that we just take lightly.
1: So again, with my understanding, it's that you kind of lost some of the power to enforce some things in rescinding the code of ethics, like the censurability. The
0: censurability has nothing to do with that. Well, what it does have to do with that is that. The mayor, according to Charter City policy, it's not. The mayor has never had the power to never had the power to censure people through that policy. So the fact that that was even included is problematic.
1: Is there any validity that it's kind of softened things in terms of conflict of interests or anything along that lines by removing the code of ethics?
0: the The thing that was rescinded. just rescinded. I think that we have enough policies in place that no, I don't think that.
1: Policies with. And I
0: signed it. I mean, and I signed it back ethics. in that time because, you know, I'm not going to do anything that's random like that. Right. But yeah, I think that we do have a code of ethics. We have a lot of um, places where we have to be plugged in with trainings and all of those types of situations. It's not that we just, because there was some in house policy, this is something that we have to live by. So I'm not sure what you're getting at.
1: Well, uh, that's what I'm kind of trying to understand is what I'm getting at in some senses. I've heard frustration from people that that was rescinded, and I'm not 100% sure why. Yeah, I've heard that it's in terms of censure. I've also heard in terms that now you can use your your title in reference to public office to support other candidates, and mm-hmm. that has people a little worried. I've also come across the idea that conflict of interest is now... I don't know if it's l- more loosely defined or more susceptible to kind of being misappropriated and people are worried about that. I'm just hearing that there's fear from the compu- from the community and I've also witnessed that in the council discussion that I watched mm-hmm. that we were just talking about with Katie Moulton. Okay. It sounds like there's some members of the public are worried that uh-huh. that was rescinded and I don't understand why. So I'm trying to get that from you.
0: I would like to know why too, to be honest with you. Do you um, think that they're just you know, nitpicking? I wouldn't say that. I would say that they believe what they are putting out there. You know, I think that a good conversation with the city attorney um, might explain a few things for them. However, I believe that the people in question that are having the issues are the ones that are in litigation. And so that wouldn't be something that I would, you know, be willing to comment on. Um, But what I can tell you, there was a couple of things that you mentioned. Um, one of them is using your title to endorse people. Personally, on a personal level, I think it's a bad idea because you're going to end up working with either candidate and you don't want to have that kind of, you know, already kind of a nail in the coffin, if you will, for the relationship if your person doesn't win. So as a person, endorse who you want. This is my personal opinion, not my work opinion. Um but they're both the same. But um, so I, I wouldn't do that. However, we had people like our former mayor, Frank Yeager. We've had different council members that endorse people. In fact, I personally, in my first term, was endorsed by two council members. So, you know, um, I think that, that that's a tricky situation. And I think it should be left up to the individual. Um, I think there's a price to pay either way with that. What was the other thing that you mentioned? That was one of them.
1: Conflict of interest. Conflict of interest.
0: So conflict of interest has to do with money as far as recusing yourself. And so if there is no monetary benefit, then there's no need to recuse. And I know that oftentimes some of our council members have recused themselves just because they're concerned about you know, what the public sees. But if there is no monetary benefit, my understanding is there's no need for recusal.
1: What about an ideological benefit?
0: Tell me more about that, or clarify.
1: Please. Well, this is going into kind of another brooding wormhole. Is the idea? Oh, that, delightful! Thank yeah, you. right. <laughs> oh, great! This is what I signed up for. Anarchism. Okay, is is kind of a big topic, uh-huh. and there seems to be some fear, whether warranted or not, around council members who have kind of openly aligned with that belief system. Okay, and so I have heard there are again are rumblings that members who are pro kind of abolishing the police or defunding the police mm-hmm. should recuse themselves when they're in situations voting on allocating resources to the police because that might be a conflict of interest and that ties back into removing the code of ethics is the fear is now they wouldn't have to because there's nothing really binding that would hold them to that
0: but there is there is
1: in terms of just trainings that they've gone mm-hmm. through. But does that carry the same kind of weight? hmm A training? hmm
0: It's because it's, it's law. It's not, we have ethics codes in the state. We have ethics codes in our work. And so, yes, absolutely. I do feel like that. And I, you know, this business of the anarchism, the people in question that are being called out every single meeting, every single opportunity, they were elected By their constituents in the public. So the mayor has no control over who gets elected, nor does city staff. The public elected them. So, you know, that's where it is from there. I mean, it takes a pub, the public would have to be involved to get rid of them if they were going to do that, I would guess.
1: Do you think that attack on anarchism is just a misunderstanding? Or, coming from a constituency that didn't vote that person in, and so they're just upset?
0: I don't know why it is, honestly. You know, I don't spend a lot of time delving into these kinds of things. I have other important work to do. Um. So, you know, I mean, if it comes across my desk, I will definitely. And in a meeting, I need to moderate that. But honestly, these are elected officials. These are people that the public saw fit to elect. And so I think it's important to recognize that. Um, and some of them won very clearly, like big vote, you know, changes. So I would encourage people to have conversations and not to allow fear to rule what, whatever they're thinking, you know, and you can have your opinion. It's totally great. Enjoy it, you know, or, or not, but at least be willing to talk to people about it. And I know in some situations there has been some some talk, but is it really um, helpful to have conversation that is, you know, finger-pointing? Isn't it better to have a dialogue that is respectful, you know?
1: Do you think that's what a lot of the discourse is made up of now, is kind of this fear and this finger-pointing and lack of understanding in some sense?
0: I do in some ways, and I feel like on some level— um, It can be frustrating because there are things that we can't discuss in public, and so the public is going to get angry and they're going to get frustrated, and as well, they should because they don't have all the information. And, you know, I'm talking now about um, employment issues or closed session issues that we can't really disclose why the decision was made or that type of thing. So it's understandable that people are frustrated and get upset when they don't have all the information. And. On some of those situations, we just can't give it. And so just know, like for me, it's really frustrating to have more information and not necessarily be able to share it all the time.
1: How do you juggle that aspect of transparency?
0: Well, uh, closed session is closed session, right? And nothing that's in closed session can leave closed session. So we give people as much information as we can. And again, it's frustrating. And I get that it's frustrating for the public. But, you know, that's the way it is.
1: Well, and part of it must be challenging because you, I mean, so take you, for example, you've been elected to do this job. Mm -hmm. And you have to, you have to kind of do that how you see fit. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can't have all of your constituents almost write out a path for you to take. Like, they put you in this position because they trusted you Mm -hmm. in some sense. And now you have to go on and use your judgment as you see fit. Mm -hmm. And I think that it gets... I mean, politics in general right now is kind of squirrely for people and the lack of trust in political officials and all of that plays in. But people want to believe that they've elected the right person. Uh And I think transparency comes into that and that Uh gives them a sense of peace. And when they feel like the direction is kind of skirting off where they want it to go, they get very vocal and then the discourse falls apart. And I feel like that's kind of what I was hinting at before is It seems like, for whatever reason, the council discourse kind of gets a little squirrely, too. And I think that happens with—it definitely happens with the board of supervisors, too. Some of their meetings get a little chaotic, and people—it's just not productive conversation, I think. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. I would agree. Sometimes that's very true.
1: It's a weird time.
0: It is. And it's, you know, it's really unfortunate. I grew up here. I love Eureka. I wouldn't be here if I didn't. I love— our community, our the generousness of our generosity of our community, the beauty of our community. We're rich in so many, so many areas in this city. And so when we have these kind of disrespectful dialogues, it's really it's not productive. And what I would say, like if somebody came to me with something, I always try and and my council, not my council, the council same thing we try and get the best answers that we can from staff or from situations so that we can give us give the best information if it's a closed session item we cannot discuss it it's just we cannot so
1: well you've been i mean you were on the council Mm -hmm. so you've been in politics in the sphere of local politics for Mm -hmm. a while now Mm -hmm. do you feel like your work on the council kind of prepared you to take this role or do you feel like there's still challenges that you were unaware of
0: you know i think that um There are always challenges that you're unaware of in anything that you do, uh, and it's how you work through them. And so, you know, it's a great opportunity for growth sometimes. Some of the things that we have to grow through that are very uncomfortable and difficult, but that's what makes us stronger as a city, and that's what makes us stronger as people and a community together. And so, yeah, I meet them head on. I mean, they're not comfortable or pleasant sometimes, as you probably can see, but certainly we have to address these things.
1: Is it difficult engaging in a dialogue with the public where you are the mayor, right? So you being out in public, you going to the grocery store, you're still the mayor mm-hmm. even at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Does that get a little squirrely for you personally trying no. to No, you No, it.
0: I love our community. I mean, I love it when people stop and talk to me if I'm if I'm with my kids or something. I may say, you know, call me, let's schedule a meeting but i love seeing our community and that's one of the gifts of being here is that you know in such a small community as we get to know each other we get to know what people want what people need what people desire what's great what's not so great and we get to hear it from a variety of different people i mean i've been at the market and had people just lose it on me about you know street repairs or different things and it's great because you know if people are willing to talk we can make change if people are willing to um, to just talk amongst themselves and never let anybody know how they're feeling. We're not going to know, and we can't make those changes. So I think it's important to have healthy dialogue, respectful dialogue.
1: You know? Respect being the key.
0: Respect being the key. I mean, it's. I have students in my class, even when I worked at the Montessori school, who act more grown up and mature in their conversations than some of the people that come to public comment. I mean, it's just, it's really sad because we're modeling these kind of behaviors for people as well, right? Like, so civility is a very important thing to me, as is decorum. And it's really unfortunate when we have problems on both sides of the dais, both sides.
1: Well, yeah, that almost undermines the argument, right? I would imagine (laughs) that you guys, unfortunately or fortunately, are held to the higher standard. So when you have a council member calling somebody an asshole in session, it it almost is twice as impactful as if mm-hmm. someone was using their public comment to call you guys an asshole.
0: Mm-hmm. And I would, again, I would say that she apologized two different times at that meeting as well as wrote uh, a note to that person. And I believe that they've resolved that together uh, as far as I'm, my understanding is. But, you know, I don't know that – I don't know.
1: You said earlier that you almost don't think somebody should be punished or put on display for making a poor choice, not your words, my words. Mm -hmm. Was that in reference to censure?
0: That was in reference to a lot of different things. I I think that public shaming is garbage. That's not how we support people. Restorative justice, that's the way that we support people. Giving people opportunities to do better, that's how we support people. Publicly shaming somebody, not interested. Not interested, whether it's censure, censure I have no control over. That's a council decision. Um, do you I'm, think
1: that censure falls into that category of public shaming?
0: Not necessarily. I mean, it depends on the situation. I would say no, not always
1: when you are referencing public shaming, do you have something in mind? because I'm trying to figure out um, not necessarily what well, that would look
0: like you know, you were talking about our rescinded Code of ethics. Uh, Code of ethics. And in that, there was this, um, you know, in that part where it was about censuring, there was a part about the mayor, you know, shaming somebody in public. In fact, we'd I'd gotten an email about that. And I am not ever going to do that to somebody. I'm never going to, if I want to have a, disqu- or a conversation with somebody about their behavior, I'm going to have it like I'm sitting and talking to you. I'm not going to do that in the public because I don't think that's a solution
1: the ability for the mayor to publicly shame was included in that Mm -hmm. oh that's interesting Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and i'm not going to
1: ever do you think that that was just an outdated document that was unnecessary is that how you would summarize that whole situation
0: i think it was definitely had some flaws
1: I got to do more digging into that because I I couldn't understand it personally. Mm-hmm. I ju- it just had come across my radar, so I kind of wanted to go to the source and mm-hmm. pick your brain about it to see if you had any thoughts.
0: Well, my thoughts are that it was a flawed plan, and um, and I signed it at the time because
1: it's just what I did. have no.
0: Well, I have no problem with being ethical, you know. And
1: it, I'd be worried if you said you did. That's, yeah, yeah, right.
0: So, and I think that the same is, can be said for all of our council members. In the last, you know, however long that was, I mean, it's been, you know, it was Frank Yeager was the mayor at that time. Uh, Marion Brady was on council, refused to sign. Austin Allison refused to sign. I mean, it's and they're on two different sides of the spectrum. Right. So, you know, there's something to be said for that.
1: Yeah. It seems like it was a bubbling issue. And then you guys might have just been the first ones to kind of finalize a response to it in Mm -hmm. some sense. meaning well you guys were the f- it so 2018 they kind of just put it on the back burner and then mm-hmm. you guys now in 2023 mm-hmm. decided to rescind it it seems like there was a weird period of just a gray area mm-hmm. where it wasn't used but it also wasn't rescinded
0: yeah and we have policies like that that we're working through all the time that doesn't surprise me
1: yeah local politics old, seems like it can be yeah
0: old policies that just have no business being there anymore for sure
1: is that a challenge of the job, is trying to make progress with through new proposals, through working forward, but then you also have to address and correct problems of the past still and look at these old documents and try to fix them?
0: No. I think that updating ordinances is a good thing. And some of them just aren't, you know, they they don't, they're not relevant anymore. And so having these opportunities to change them and do things different is important, you know? And we can look at that on a lot of different levels.
1: Can I ask you about your stance on policing? You can, what, what would you like to know? What is your approach? Or not necessarily your approach, but what what is your view of the state of policing? Because obviously Eureka, some of the highest crime in the country. Mm-hmm. People would argue it's not safe. They're worried about the state of the city. Mm-hmm. And it seems like some of that problem would need to be addressed through policing. Okay. Either increased policing or a change of direction in policing. Mm-hmm. What is your What is your view of that? Okay. How do we get Eureka out of this crime zone?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you that from my time on council and even prior to that, I've seen a lot of positive change in our Eureka Police Department. We have a lot of different subsets now. We've got the CSET team, which is working with a lot of the homeless population, and mental health. We have our care program with Jacob that um, goes out and covers some of those calls so that police aren't necessarily dispatched to those you know, calls if they don't need to be. We have two rangers that head out you know, on the trail regularly to mitigate what things may be happening out there. Um, I go out with the police department when I can. I think it's important to see their work and to understand that they are you know, they're doing a good job. They really, like, I watch how they, you know, work with people and converse with people and the way that they treat people. And it's a big difference from what it was even four years ago. I love how we're now using less lethal uh, weapons. We're all getting trained on CPI so that, you know, the critical response stuff, so that we have better ways to deal instead of this reactionary kind of old-school way of, of dealing with people. Uh, you know, I'm happy with the direction of Eureka Police Department, and I appreciate them more than I could probably even say uh, for their willingness to make change in such a healthy direction. It's, it's been really good. And, you know, Eureka's a small town. It's the county seat. People bring people to jail. They leave them here from all over the county. You know, it's we do get a lot of calls and it's frustrating that we get a lot of calls. And we've had this conversation about how do we get people back to their jurisdictions. We've had this conversation over and over and over again. And there's all of these kind of ideas about what is happening. And yet we still have a lot of people from other areas in the county being in in Eureka.
1: Do you think that's kind of the crux of the problem? Is just the influx?
0: I think that's part of the problem. I don't think that there's a a one-size-fits-all answer to how the problem works, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. But, you know, things are complex. It's not, and I think it's, it's easy for folks to say, well, if you just did this, this would happen. And if people were cookie cutter and we lived in a perfect world, I would agree. But people are not cookie cutter and people are complex. And so our policies, state policies have really messed us up. You know, and we voted on some of those things like AB 109, you know, these these ideas that crimes have been changed to misdemeanors and people aren't kept in jail anymore. Those kinds of situations create more problems.
1: Do you think we need more stringent laws in place for that? Yeah, I worked actually
0: to uh, overturn AB 109. And um, unfortunately, it didn't get the first time it didn't get on the ballot. Second time it didn't pass. But yeah, I do. I think it's important that we have more opportunities to get some teeth into some of these things. And I don't mean that in a way where I think discretion is always important. You know, I don't think we need to go in guns blazing. That doesn't work. But certainly um, some more some more teeth for our police and for even for things in our city would be great. You know, we had a great panhandling ordinance. Beautiful. For a long time we worked really hard on that, you know, and I went to Sacramento and to Auburn and kind of talked to people, come back. You notice for a long time there were, you didn't see panhandlers on the street. Well, then there was the Boise decision and that's a way of freedom of speech. And so we have no control over somebody standing on the corner unless it's they're harassing, you know? And so we lose a lot of our local control through some of these outside Measures and it's really it's frustrating.
1: And AB 109 specifically did
0: it. T- it turned things into certain crimes into misdemeanors. So, for instance, like if you this is going, but if you had sex with somebody that's asleep or drunk, that's a misdemeanor now. Um, and there are a lot of other crimes that are misdemeanors. There are crimes with uh, drugs and alcohol that are misdemeanors. There are a lot of things that at time at at a different time, you probably would have stayed in jail for a while, you know, and it was prison reform and all of that business. Let's keep people local, which creates problems in the jail system and it becomes a lot more violent. There's just, it's just a whole mess of stuff with a good intention, right? We wanted people to, we wanted to give people an opportunity to recover and to change, but we didn't have enough of those things in place to make that happen. So like restorative justice is, I, I'm a big fan of that. Not on necessarily a rape case, but certainly, you know, graffiti and misdemeanor kind of things.
1: I think it's challenging when the those ideas get applied to things like murder and more severe cases of aggression where mm-hmm. now instead of going to prison for a few years, maybe you're out in 20 months mm-hmm. and we're just hoping that our broken prison system has re- rehabilitated you in some sense where now you can function in society and not make the same set of mistakes.
0: Yeah. It's, it's really unfortunate. And I know that, you know, through talking to some of the police, it's, it can be very frustrating for them as well, because, you know, we get all these calls of service for specific people. We're hitting it from different directions, but, you know, you put them in jail, they're released. You put them in jail, they're released. You put them in jail, you know, and they know that. And so that's really unfortunate. So we're having to find different ways to reach people that don't necessarily, um, Include long term incarceration, which probably isn't bad, but we're certainly in the beginning stages of that. We don't have something in place that's a, a good solution yet, I don't think.
1: I had Steve Watson on the podcast and we oh, talked okay. about the kind of this idea of ping pong policing where they can't really do a whole lot because they arrest somebody and get them off the street, but then they're back out that mm-hmm. afternoon. Yeah. And so it's almost what's the point when you're trying to enforce these rules and trying to clean up the city, but You know it's not going to have a difference in 20 minutes yeah as soon as you fill out their arrest they're back out what is what what's the point in even arresting them at that point because it doesn't do anything tangible
0: it's frustrating it's frustrating and the public is frustrated they weren't frustrated to over enough to change 109 maybe 109 or i think it's the other one was 27. i could be wrong about that one there were two um So they weren't frustrated enough to change those things, but they certainly are frustrated enough to get on the phone and call a lot and say, you know, why are you releasing these people? You know, some things are higher level. You know, we don't have, people think that we have all this power and we do have some power to change our city, you know, and we do, and we use it regularly to hopefully better our city, but there are certain things we don't have control over and the jail is one of them. You know, and even mental health, Eureka has really stepped outside the box on that because most cities don't have mental health departments. You know, they don't have a care, more starting to now, but they don't have a care program, you know, where people go out and a crisis intervention, you know, that doesn't necessarily require a policeman. Um, we don't have, a lot of cities don't have those mental health things in place or things like Uplift Eureka um things to work with folks and to support them into different ways of living
1: yeah you almost need a multi-pronged approach to solving some of these issues right oh
0: 100 percent. yeah
1: does that get i mean are you getting a lot of calls at the council level for problems that are above your pay grade so to speak sure and people are just kind sure. of forcing the brunt of their frustration on you and you're like hey i it's okay. I can't do these. I, I didn't enact these problems that you're trying to address.
0: No, I didn't enact them, but I certainly can listen to you and share your frustration, and I'm happy to do so, you know, and happy to look at different things. You know, there's been a couple of things that I've had to go to Senator McGuire about, like, you know, how can we mitigate these things? And, you know, it's been great, but there are other things that we just don't have. You, you can't just call Senator McGuire and say, oh, let's change this. You know, it's there's a lot more to it than
1: than that well and like ab109 what happens when people are vocalizing their frustration but then aren't, aren't voting. voting in accordance with that frustration there you go how do you how do you handle that how do you yeah
0: you know you don't then you you're know?
1: just venting at a problem that you don't actually want to change do you think that's a lack of understanding mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. and or i think
1: an over an over promise of compassion that we've gotten st- Because laws were so stringent, especially say drug laws were Mm -hmm. so stringent that now the pendulum has swung the opposite direction. We are overly compassionate in terms of all crime.
0: I don't know. I don't know. I think that certainly there are pendulums that swing with different things. And, you know, one time we're over here, the next time we're over here, you know, and things swing back and forth until finally we get some semblance of balance. And then as soon as we get some semblance of balance, then this over here changes, right? So, It's constantly a process of changing and growing together as community. And I think that's really important as community. That means that community engagement is super important. And that's why public comment is so important. And that's why reaching out to your public officials is so important. You know, it's one thing to write a bunch of garbage on Facebook. It's a whole nother thing to schedule a meeting with your council member or your mayor or your city manager or whoever and have conversations, you know. And I think that's where... That's where the change happens. That's where the magic happens in personal conversations, not on, you know, social media or some of these other places where you see the toxicity of it, of it all.
1: It's just so much more. It's just easier to write the comment, I think, is why people go that route, because you could just reach out and touch anybody. And so if you're mad at your local official, you can just comment obscene things on their post and then feel good about yourself because you solve your problem.
0: Yeah. I don't know that you feel good about yourself if you're behaving that way. I think the people that, that
1: do that do. You do? I think, I think there's, yeah, because otherwise why would you do it? If you were doing that and you felt bad about yourself, common sense would cause you to stop doing that. So you would, yeah. I mean, right?
0: I think that, could be, but I think that people um, who are, feel like they need to do that toxic kind of rhetoric, they can't feel good about themselves. I just, you know, because hurt people hurt people. You know, and if you could actually have a respectful conversation, maybe you'd get a lot more done, you know. But, you know, calling people names and blame shifting and all of that garbage that goes with that, I don't think it helps us as a community. And I certainly don't think it helps us as individuals.
1: Would you say that the name calling in the toxic discourse makes up a majority of community engagement? no. Not at all,
0: not at all, not at all. I would say, you know, our city has 29,000 people, right? Give or take. And we've got 10 that are vocally toxic, and actually five that are vocally toxic. And then, you know, that's not bad odds. There may be more out there, but that's not bad odds out of 29,000, you know? And I think people that are unhappy, like I have people that call me that are very unhappy and they come to my office and we talk about it. And we see we listen, I listen to them and what they think might change or might not change, what we could do. And then we talk about it and see if there's any any way that we can can um put that forward within reason, within reason. Like we're not going to do a barbed wire, you know, camps for, you know, homeless people, right? That's
1: has that actually been posted? Yes, oh,
0: that was actually brought to a council meeting, razor wire, yeah,
1: to keep the homeless. Encampments out of certain areas.
0: Yeah, there was a. They had a space in mind to, to keep people, and half of that space was going to be the people they would be in razor wire that were um, not criminals. Oh, like, like a
1: prison camp, you would put. And them then in the it. other
0: side would be razor wire with the criminal element of homelessness. You know, and I get that there's a lot of frustration with that um, with the way things are um and i experience that on the regular you know cuz i talk to people every day and it's it is frustrating that you can't manufacture the willingness to for people to change you can't manifest hope out of homeless hopelessness you know and um connection is critical in that you know and i get made fun of for that you know destigmatize some of these things that are happening absolutely because when people feel value they act differently. When people feel like they are part of a community, they act differently. When people feel like they live in beauty and have some sort of buy-in to what they're doing, they act differently. Doesn't mean they don't get mad. Doesn't mean they don't get frustrated. Doesn't mean they don't get upset. Means that we all have a common goal and we're, we're going to try and get there. And um, that's what's important. And we have a whole community of people like that, that It's just amazing to me how many people come forward on so many different items with such passion and grace uh, and talk about issues that are very difficult to talk about. Another reason I appreciate the town halls.
1: Well, that's the only way we're going to solve these problems is if we have real compassionate discourse.
0: Respectful. Doesn't even have to be compassionate. Respectful works. You know, I mean, I realize that our community has compassion fatigue. A lot of people do understandably, you know, but that doesn't mean that we have to exploit people through videos on social media. That doesn't mean we have to uh, call people names so that we feel better about ourselves. You know, that's what I always think of it is like, if you have to put other people down to make yourself feel important, there may be a problem there. You might want to take a look at yourself. Um, It's just, it's not, it's ugly and it's not productive. And so being able to have respectful dialogue, even when we disagree, it's okay to even get mad and frustrated and all those things. But I think there's a way to do that where we're not name-calling, blame-shifting, when we're taking our responsibility for what, what we're contributing, uh, rather than just a bunch of rhetoric.
1: That idea of compassion fatigue, mm-hmm. do you think that some of what is at play in regards to the homeless community is that? I do. And that people are just... Getting frustrated because the change isn't happening or isn't happening as fast as they would want it to.
0: I do, I do, and I understand that. I mean, I've gone out some days where I just am ready to pull all my hair out, you know, and I'm just like, "Oh my god," you know, just go to treatment, you know. And it's, it's very frustrating. But on the other side of that, all people have value, and all people deserve to have um, some sort of connection. You know, we, we all need that and we all deserve that. And I think it's important and respect is earned. I get that, but we've got to start somewhere. And like I said, it doesn't cost a penny to smile at somebody. It doesn't cost a penny to say hello. None of that, you know, and it's not, it's not even an investment. You know, I remember I was down in LA for a a convention and I was walking to Whole Foods and there was this guy on the street and he had these black visqueen pants on and he was singing and dancing and, and he, he was homeless. And I said hello to him and he turned around and he looked at me. He goes, you talking to me? And I said, yeah. He goes, why? And I said, cause you're a human being. He's like, oh, and then he just like looked at me like I was nuts and kept walking and <laughs> kept walking. But that was a real eye-opener for me, how people don't feel like they have value or feel like they're even seen sometimes. And everybody wants to be seen somehow. And I think that's why we get some of the public commenters we get. They just want to feel validated.
1: Do you think that that is a losing battle in some sense, in terms, again, of the homeless problem where people feel like that is just a losing battle, that the only place for frustration to go is up and more people to get that compassion fatigue? Because they're not seeing a tangible result, either because it's not a long enough time horizon mm. or we just haven't found the right solution yet, kind of diminish some of the problems that they're frustrated with. I mean, do you think that that is a problem that we could even solve Compassion on to a city take? level? No, the homeless issue specifically.
0: <laughs> I think we hit the rock every day. We do what we can every day. I, you know, this is an issue, this is a nationwide issue, this is a worldwide issue. Thing. This isn't something I mean, we have a lot of um, really uh, sort of innovative programming happening in Eureka that other people are modeling. So that's that's really refreshing. But no, I don't believe that we're going to be able to solve this as a Eureka community. Not everybody, you know, because, again, it's complex and you can't manufacture the willingness for some people to get the supports they need. Some people, you know, again, it's that whole fear thing. Like, what will I be? Like, this is familiar to me. This is how I've lived. I don't want to live that way. You may hear people say that, but really? Is that this fear talking? You know, I don't know. I don't know. But just because we can't fix it and get everybody housed doesn't mean we need to stop trying. And it doesn't mean we don't need to be um, kind, simple, you know, hello. Smile. Oh, yeah. The the impact that
1: saying hello has on somebody.
0: Yeah, I see you. You know, it's it's huge.
1: When you're talking to the homeless community, does it seem like that is an issue? Is they don't feel seen?
0: I think a lot of times, sure. You know, when people. I mean, I guess that's kind of a loaded
1: question because a lot of people would fall into that.
0: Yeah, I mean, even I think a lot of people don't. Got a hair right there. a lot of people don't feel seen.
1: Just in general. In
0: general, I mean, I. I work at a school. I see kids every day that don't feel seen, you know, and it's important and it's important to reach out to them. And if it's just a smile, a hello, I see you, you are valued. It's that simple. And, you know, I I wouldn't tell anybody to go where they didn't feel safe ever, um, but certainly we can be kind to each other, you know.
1: It seems like that is a big... Almost pillar of you being the mayor is just this aspect of kindness mm-hmm. and just respectful, even more so
0: mm-hmm. It's important. It's important. You know, it We live our community, I, I think I've said this, but I love our community on so many levels. And we could only get better by being more kind. It's funny because I was just uh, last weekend I was up in Bandon, Oregon. beautiful. And, you know, we said, we're walking along the street saying hello to people. And people were just like, this is a small town, just nothing, not a hello, not anything. And I hear people all the time that come to Eureka. People are so friendly in Eureka. People, and we are, we are, you know, and we have so many great things going for us. And we can only get better if we can just find ways to work together. Doesn't mean we agree on everything. Cause we won't ever, right? But there are there are things that people want to do that we can agree on, no matter what our political affiliation or any of those kinds of things. And so, um, I think that's really important.
1: Okay. Well, I think we can end it on that. Kim, thank okay. you for coming and talking with Thanks me. Thanks so much for having else me. You wanna add?
0: Just please be kind. I
1: yeah. think that's been a good underlying theme of this podcast is yeah. just kindness and respect.
0: Respect, yeah. We get a lot more done. What do they say? You get a lot more done with uh, honey than vinegar or you attract more bees with honey than vinegar or flies or whatever Something it is. Something like that. It's very true. And when people feel attacked, honestly, they don't want to talk, you know, and that's in all avenues of our lives. So I would just encourage people to really be kind
1: and respectful. and pick
0: up an oar, pick up an oar. This is our city. This isn't five representatives sitting up on the is city. This is everybody's city. Let's work together to make it better than it is now, which it's awesome right now, but we can always improve. And uh, they can call me and schedule a meeting if they'd like.
1: Okay. Well, thank you, Kim. I appreciate you coming on.
0: (laughs) You're welcome.